Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 14. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, I've got Matt Walker on the show. Matt is a professional coach, a speaker, and a guide, outdoor guide. He has done some incredible things in his life um, for being such a young man. And his real mission is to help people find adventure in their everyday. So he does a lot of work with business leaders, takes them into some uncomfortable spots outside, takes them on adventures and helps them rediscover uh, freedom and adventure so they can bring that to their everyday lives. I just spent a weekend with Matt. He hosted a retreat uh, for six other men. And I can tell you, he is a man who is deeply on purpose. We had a great conversation together and we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff related to outdoor leadership, embodiment, um, pushing comfort zones while staying open, so not just gritting and bearing. We talked about conscious parenting. Uh, Matt's got a fun practice for his uh, young kids called Sugar and Shake that he'll share with you. And at the end of the episode, definitely stay tuned. Uh, Matt's offering up a 10-day challenge for anyone who is looking to find more adventure and freedom in their day-to-day. And this is not just one of those standard, lame 10-day challenges. Matt will actually get in contact with you and help you through it. All right, let's jump into episode 14. I just love it so much because for me, that's that theme around embodiment is that's what I work on as a coach too. It's like taking the concept of, of leadership or communication or presence and making it real through action, as opposed to just trying to intellectualize it in the, in the brain. And I think I fell into the same trap that uh, a lot of people and especially a lot of men fell into, which is you read all the books and you understand everything and you can intellectualize it. But then when it comes to practice, that's tough. And, I can only imagine in an outdoor setting where there's, you know, a very thin line between you and some significant risk that that embodiment shows up in a big way. What, what are the kinds of experiences you bring people into and how, like, what, what do they go through as they go through this transformation (laughs) of being thrown into the wilderness with you? Yeah. I mean, most of the, most of the men that I work with have very little experience, um, in, um, you know, in a big mountain environment. They may have, have done some things in high school or in college or something, something like that, or grown up in the mountains on vacations, but never really spent a, a chunk of time in a, in a high angle terrain environment, an area that, that has real risk and um, you know, demands um, the highest level of, of focus and presence. And so for me, what's amazing for that is that um, we all have the capacity to thrive in that environment. We really do. Even if it's something that's so foreign to us. Um, and that there's, you know, the, the way that that trans, transpires is that there's a, a trust that's developed between the guide and the client. So whether between myself and my client, um, a trust is developed that I work with them and I can see where um, just like any mountain guide can um, see where, like where's that point for them where they are, able to push outside their comfort zone enough to be able to still be present, 
but then to um, to be able to then meet the challenge and and set them up for success versus just pushing them so hard outside of their comfort zone that that, that it's a place where they, where you they can no longer function so the um, I think the sweet spot is to be able to catch the little moments that occur in that environment and then be able to bring that thread back to um, other aspects of our lives. So I'll, I'll, get, I'll give a quick example. It sounds really trite and really uh, simple, um, but a couple of weeks ago I was with a client who um, is a serious go-getter. He gets shit done and um, has been incredibly successful in businesses that he's launched. And he shows up on the trip and his harness uh, that he'd purchased at like at REI was way too small. And um, you know, he'd followed the gear list, brought the gear. But when he had gone to REI to get his gear, he basically just went through the gear list and just grabbed stuff off the shelves. He didn't take the time to really um, slow down and make sure the thing fit. And it was a size small and the guy's a size large. So he puts it on in the parking lot and he's like determined to make this thing work. Like he's just like head down, I'm going to make this harness fit. And he could fit, he could put it on, but I mean, it was like putting a pair of like disco pants on. It was absurd. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I was just like, you know, no, stop. Like we can go, we will delay our start and go get the right size harness and come back and do it right. And he, and there was a friction between us around this to the point where I was just like, no, this is, we're not, we're not going to go into the field with this disco outfit you have on. And uh, what came of that was the thread was like, oh, this is actually how he approaches all challenge with, I'm just going to barrel through this thing. Damned if it's going to fit. I'm not going to take the extra few minutes. So it came up in two ways. One, I'm just going to go get the gear. I'm not even going to see if it fits. I'm just going to grab stuff and just be, you know, my my brain's somewhere else, but my body's here. And I'm just grabbing things off the shelf and then I'm checking it off. And then when he arrives there, it's like, I'm just going to make this thing happen because I, I want to launch into it right now. I don't want to take the time to actually just slow down and do it the right way. So we actually used that thread continuously over the three days we were climbing. Cause it was like, Oh, here it is again, the same behavior. It's just like the harness. And so having those little moments externalizes the problem. You know, it's just learning that you can't get from a book. I mean, you can read the book that says, you know, be present in the moment, but you, if you're not getting direct feedback from someone and accountability, it, it just falls flat. So he's getting feedback. Like here it is again, you're trying to barrel through the problem instead of just slowing down and observing. Uh, and, um, and so it's those pieces. And now, you know, that was a couple of weeks ago and working with him this past week and we, it came up again in conversation. Well, this is, how is this similar to the harness? So I think for him, it's like the harness is going to be a huge metaphor for him. And on the surface of it, it feels like just this little tiny thing, but it actually is a mirror for much larger issues. It doesn't sound trite at all, Matt. It sounds really true. Um, and it's a great example. I, I mean, and especially in the context of men at work, I mean, there's so many, I work with a lot of men as well. So many men out there that that is their default, which is barrel through. Right. It's certainly my calling card. I know when I'm, when I'm barreling through, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm given a shopping list or I make a list and I just 
kind of hammer through and, you know, I forget that I didn't buy, you know, the organic chickpeas. I got the regular ones and that's, you know, not going to make my family super happy. As you said, it's like your brain is somewhere else, but your body is there. And I think I love the way you, you, you can create those teachable moments without a book. Yeah. And it's the book and the reading provides, you know, it can, can start to open you up to new ideas, but the embodiment piece is absolutely crucial. And I'll get clients who will say, Oh, I'd love to do coaching work with you. I just can't take three days away to do this thing. And for me, I'm like, well, if you actually want the outcome from the coaching, you, you, you have to take the three days away period. And then at the end of the three days are like, I can't imagine not having that experience. So, um, and I know for myself, I would, the other day I was, I was working through some challenges and I was doing some journaling and I found myself, it's actually doing a video journal. It was one of the, uh, instead of writing it down, I was trying to just to like record through my voice saying it. And I found myself saying, um, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. I think I said like three times within, you know, 75 seconds. It was just like, and then I caught myself like, wow, that's the default that I have to figure this out instead of just sitting with it. And a completely different experience if I allow it to like sit in my body instead of trying to hold it in my head. So yeah, we're all guilty of it for sure. It's, it's so deeply ingrained and, uh, and being in relationship with other men uh, to be able to call that out for each other. That's, you know, therein lies the gift, a little slap in the face of like, you don't have to figure it out. You just gotta, just gotta shut the fuck up and just be present in your body for those, that those few minutes. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that you say that, you know, I know you and I share a, a common teacher in, in John Wineland and this, uh, and, you know, he, from, from the kind of the David data teachings and lineage, it's funny you bring that up because this year, the last 50 weeks, I decided I'm only going to read one book and I'm actually rereading David one, data's one book. one book over the course of the year. That's it. I'm not going to pick up any other books. So I just, cause I was ravenous for reading what, you know, what's new in leadership and, you know, behavioral science mm -hmm. and all this. And I'd read it and there was no practice. It was just reading and it was uh, in essence just storage in my brain. So okay. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to read David data's book called one of, one of his books called the way of the superior man. I'd read it at least three times before. Uh -huh. And I said, every week I'm going to read one chapter and I'm going to, I'm going to embody what that chapter is all about. Huh. And, this this week i'm on chapter 50 so it's week 50 and it's just what you talked about it's you know refine your purpose in solitude in the company of other men and, and i'm curious what is the how do you restore yourself and how do you i know you also you bring men together in in men's groups and and retreats so how do you do it for yourself and then what are you doing out there for your clients around that spending time with other men and helping that to sharpen your your consciousness and your presence there can be a character of men's groups of like kumbaya. Um, you know, everyone's got big beards and, you know, super granola and hippy dippy and that whole scene. And there's definitely, a, you know, and like you're dancing on a fire growling and whatever. I don't, even, I don't even know what the character really is, but we can all imagine like what a men's group is. And then, uh, but the reality is it's something totally different in that you have men from all walks of life coming together in order to, with the sole purpose of like sharpening their um, sharpening their skills to be better men in the world, to be better parents, to be better um, 
uh, business owners to be better significant others, better in the community. And so for me, it's, it's been huge. Um, and I'll acknowledge that like right now, there's definitely a dip in my life uh, where I'm not as, um, as active in one of those groups. And, uh, and I can feel it. Like it feels, there's a, like a deep sadness attached to it. Um, I'm not being a part of that community. The inverse of that is that um, I also choose to facilitate those experiences for other men um, and to bring them together typically around the, op- the possible, like creating an opportunity or possibility around a specific theme. So um, everyone comes together around one specific goal or theme in their life. Um, and then, ha- and then, there's an opportunity to, to, to share that, to sharpen it, and then also to give back to that community. So um, like when I go out with my, with my friends and climbing partners and that kind of stuff into the wilderness and, and go climbing or go on these different objectives, that um, experience fulfills only a small aspect of what I'm talking about. So they're usually like, mission style driven, like we're going to go and climb this thing and go, go, go. And it, it fulfills that, you know, a deep aspect of, of, of the need of movement and being in nature, but it doesn't really address the emotional capacity um, aspect of it. And so being in, being in a deeper community of men, seeing how those relationships um support kind of the, the more holistic perspective that to me really feeds the beast. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's saying a lot that that's been the most, the highest impact for you, given that you're, you're a man who's, you know, been seven summits, you've taken people into some pretty harrowing situations and you yourself are a lifelong adventurer and, you know, I'm sure have no shortage of tales about um, sticky situations where you've really, had to sharpen your own skills. You know, I also, I'm really curious about this, this whole, you know, the difference between mission focused, you know, men's brotherhood and emotion focused men's brotherhood, because mm-hmm. I know it's common in my life. I know I'm huge into cycling and, and skiing and, and uh, I agree. You go out and, uh, you know, you were, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do, you know, 5,000 meters of climbing today on a bike and it's all about the mission. Yeah, there's lots of brotherhood that goes on, but it, there's not a lot of emotional content because you're mission focused, it's highly structured, and right. you're just you're trying to get her done as an accomplishment, right. as opposed to the emotional piece. I've found the same thing with my men's groups that I'm part of, but what what do you think is the is the big difference there between mission and emotion? Yeah, oh, vulnerability, I think, bar none. Yeah, open heart and vulnerability. You can be super successful in mission-driven um, tasks and not have not be vulnerable, uh, or only a little bit vulnerable. Um, and you definitely don't have to have an open heart. And so it, it's um, the vulnerability in those mission-driven experiences is in <clears throat> is in the communication and acknowledging kind of where you're at that given moment, you know, how, how's your body feeling? Are you able to lead that section? Do you need to, to rest? You know what, they're, they're more the, the, the vulnerability of acknowledging the, the, the physical experience. Um, emotional, emotionally driven aspects are 
I mean, that stuff is so much harder. It's not, it's not even on the same page. It's like, um, you can physically, it's no different than just like putting your head down and, and making things happen at all costs. It's like, you, you can train for that. You can get your body strong for it. You can, you can strengthen your mind to be able to persevere, um, and, and, and move through adversity, but to, to then stay in that, um, stay in that space of open-hearted vulnerability and be seen, that is way harder. So you're talking about working through like uh, David Data's book like that, like that type of exercise for, for 50 weeks of that, that's to me, um, you know, kudos to you, man. That is sounds, sounds really hard. <laughs> it's great. I'm sure the payout is huge, but it sounds really rugged. So it's, it's cool, cool to hear you doing that. Yeah, you fall down a lot, or I shouldn't say you, I do. I mean, sure. it's, I'm going for kind of 10, 10 to 20% of the time during that week, if I can get it, it's good. But it's, it, it, it kind of gets embedded in your, in your behavior and your nervous system. And as opposed to just thinking about it, every day in my journal, I'm writing down, okay, what's my practice for the day? Mm-hmm. If, it's, if, you know, if it's a chapter about polarity, what's my practice? Whether maybe it's about relationship or about work. And um, that's interesting. And I, I think, you know, David talks a lot, and so does, so does John Wineland, our shared teacher, about this idea of vulnerability and open-heartedness. And I think it gets misunderstood. It's like, mm. oh, well, that means that, especially in, in, a, in a workplace context, it's like, oh, well, vulnerability and open-heartedness, does that mean that you just have to cry? Is that the kind of the, the secret no. to it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, it's something as simple as, as saying, you know, I'm not sure. Let me get back to you on that. That that's a super vulnerable place to be. You you know, it's, it's honest and it's, it's where you're at. You don't have to show all your cards. You don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to be passive and like be a dog that rolls over in those moments. It's just, you know, I'm not sure. So I'm going to get back to you on that. And then you're following through on your in, in integrity by getting back to the person and figuring out what it is. So, um, you know, it's, it's actually showing strength in, in terms of, um, being in integrity while being vulnerable. Um, and the emotional aspect to that is to, yeah, there's a time and a place to have that sort of emotional experience, a place that's safe, a place where there's not going to be judgment and a place like, let's be honest, you can't have, if you showed up that raw and that vulnerable in your work environment, who's going to trust you? Like nobody. Yeah. That's not, that's not trustable behavior, but if you're in integrity, then, um, then you're able to show up in, you know, in, in a trust, trustable manner. How does, let me ask you this. Like, I'm really curious about this topic uh, because you get to take people and, you know, we're talking about men at work here, but you're taking people into these situations that are so foreign to them. How does vulnerability and open-heartedness show up when you're, you know, climbing, uh, you know, a huge peak yeah. or you have Denali or something or, well, I mean, it shows up immediately. <laughs> um, you people are either um, open to new, open to influence, or they're not. And they're open to new information. They're open to some feedback in order to perform better, in order to live in that environment, or they're not. And um, it's an interesting dynamic that can occur where. I will just call a spade a spade and just provide feedback. And most likely it looks like you're really not open to 
new information here. Um, <laughs> what makes you, you know, wh why is it that you think that the way you're doing it should be, it, it, it is the best for you at this moment or something along those lines. But the learning that I've seen is I get a lot of guys that come out that are super frustrated right off the bat because they have the expectation that they're going to be able to perform and move at with ease and at a high level right off the bat with zero practice. So a lot of the vulnerability is, is just in recognizing like you don't have the skill set and we're here to practice that skill set. And the only way this is going to work is if you actually allow yourself to be open to learning and to like make a mess out of it. Um, so in that environment, again, it's kind of like back to what I was talking about earlier with, um, you know, where is understanding the threshold for experience, the threshold for learning that if the, if someone is pushed too far outside of their comfort zone, they're just, they're, they're not going to be able to take in new information. If their fear level is so high, if their heart rate's super high and their respiratory rate's high and they're just pumped full of adrenaline, they are not taking in any information in a way that they can apply it. But if you can just slowly kind of keep them, you know, right on the edge there, then they're able to take new information in and apply it. So um, I think the other aspect is trust. Like I mentioned earlier, like if, if that rapport is there, then people will allow themselves to be vulnerable and trust. One thing I do frequently with clients when I see them um, starting to get in their heads or starting to kind of emotionally redline and just get overwhelmed is I just stop everything and just have them breathe. You know, or I'll just kind of joking and be like, look, you know, have you taking a breath lately? And they'll realize like they're just holding all this tension in because they're trying to, to, to maintain control without breathing. And then they breathe and just relax. And so it's um, a lot of the work is, is from the embodiment piece as to how we carry stress and anxiety in those moments and the way that we can be in tune with how our body's reacting then allows our, our mind to start to shift as well. It's such a good metaphor for, for you know, the experience of a lot of men around expecting to be good at something that we've been trained not to be good at. So, you know, you're using the situation where you might take someone out climbing or ski touring or whatever, and, you know, right. they haven't done much of it and they expect to be really good because they're, maybe they're an athlete and they're good at something else, but they haven't ever done this thing before. Um, it's the same, I think, anyway, from, for emotion. You know, we're programmed mm -hmm. as men in most situations to not express anything except anger. Um, and usually it's in an, a, a lot of times it's an unhealthy way of expressing it. And, but we, then we end up trying to practice it and we're like, well, I'm going to be great at this off the bat. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the metaphor I'm taking away is like, Hey, for, you know, certainly it's true for me. It's like, you can't expect to be good at it. You might start and you're probably going to get it wrong. You're probably going to express, you're, you're trying to express sadness and it might come out as fear. Who right. knows? Right. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the, the beauties of the, the men's work is that you can then, you can actually ask for feedback, like, you know, prior to an experience or prior is like, does this even like to, to get feedback from other men that like, actually I'm not experiencing anger at all, but in your mind, you think you're expressing anger or sadness or um, one thing I'll often see with, with my clients is they're describing a pretty tragic or sad situation, but they're doing it super matter of factly. Like, Oh, so do you feel sadness around this? Because 
what you, you know oftentimes as men we think we're we think we're emoting a certain level of sadness or uh, or happiness or joy or whatever it is and it's just a tenth of what is actually being experienced by those around us so um yeah, so you kind of have to exaggerate those emotional experiences for other people to even pick up on them. And that's something that we are not practiced at, at all. Yeah. No, we're, we're anti, anti-practiced and possibly <laughs> you know, programmed out of it. I've had the same experience with, with um, people that have, yeah, they've described, you know, in, in a couple of cases, very deep childhood, you know, even physical abuse. And it's very matter of fact, and it's like almost shocking for me to listen to and to experience, but then I have to reflect and go, Hmm, you know, where does, where do I do that? And where does that yeah. show up? In yeah. Life? I think we're, we're, you know, as, as men, we're incredibly well-trained to, um, to keep a, a, a pretty baseline, um, emotive experience. I wanted to, to, to add to that. I mean, to kind of shift just a little bit and talk about, um, the tendency that that the that men have um, to play small, and what I mean by that is like a, you know a lot of my clients are super successful um, on paper and in their lives and their their work and and the, you know in terms of like a and uh, their family and financially and those kinds of of, of, of um, of ways of look of, of judgment in terms around success. But the, when I take them out in the field, they will often look at objectives and think there is no way I can do that. That's impossible. That's so far outside of my comfort zone. It's so far beyond what, what I think I can do. And um, we, I believe that we, because of this, as, as we age and, and, and get older, we, our tendency to step into the unknown um, gets smaller and smaller because we don't think there's going to be, we don't know if the return is going to be there in terms of success. So we only want to engage in those things that are going to have successful outcomes. And so um, what I found is often that my clients will come back to me and be like, how did you know that I could do that? And really the question is, well, why did you think you couldn't? Um, and that we, we, you know, we start to put up these little barriers in our lives. Like, oh, that's too hard to do. That's outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to stay in this lane uh, and just keep driving down it. And then have everything else is just outside of there. And so what I've, what I've just found is an interesting, you know, it's about kind of on the emotional piece is that we tend to play much, much smaller um, in the world than we're capable of. And uh and the men's group and the men's work that I've, I've been a, a privileged to be a part of pushes that envelope, you know, pushes it, pushes each other to be able to, to step outside of that and, and to, tr- and to, to work to play much, much bigger. Do you, do you have any insight into why that is like, and I, I see it um, in my own life. I'll take a little tangent here, actually. I mean, even mm-hmm. as you were talking, I'm recording this podcast in, in Costa Rica and I was out surfing this morning and I'm not a very good surfer. Uh, I've been, you know, a handful of times. I know it generally how to catch a wave, but I found myself doing it. I was like, well, I do want to kind of get to the outside set because it looks like it'll be a little more fun, but I don't know. There's a lot of people on the beach right now. They might see me and I'm probably going to take a couple face plants before I really get one. 
you know, I got my, my wife and my daughter here. They probably want to see their dad, you know, do well at surfing. So maybe I'll just hang out on the inside set. Um, <laughs> so maybe, you know, without overly diagnosing this problem, like, uh -huh. why do you think that exists and why do you think it's so common? <laughs> There's a deep level of entrainment that we, um, we don't allow ourselves to experiment and fail. But so it comes back to that same thing. It's like, well, why do you think you're going to be a good surfer, man? Like, how many days have you been on the water? You know, not that many. And even zero less, in two years. Yeah, even more. Exactly. That's, that's my point. It's like very little. So the expectation of success um, is completely inverse to the amount of time you've spent experiencing that thing. Totally inverse. Um and so what, you know, where's, where, where did we learn the, that, um, and I see it in my son, you know, he'll try something and he'll, he'll get super frustrated because he doesn't get it right the first time. And then he'll, he'll run away. And I think, you know, probably around that, in that process, <clears throat> as parents, you know, we either just to choose to engage with that and, and help them learn through it, or we just, let it go and let them focus on something that they, that they want to do instead, or that they enjoy more. And so that they, so we learn that pattern of like, well, I'm not that good at this thing. I'll stick to the things that I've had, you know, that have the um, slower, the, the, the higher rate of return for my, my learning. So yeah, I don't know how to diagnose it as much as it's everywhere. <laughs> and oftentimes that learning curve is, um, is short but steep so it's like you just stick a i mean i guess the question is do you like to surf yeah so what's the problem i want to be good i you know i want to look good in front of people like it's a it's a huge judgment yeah. and social pressure for me well there's a huge gap between yeah i enjoy surfing to i want to look good that's true right so what do you like about surfing you like being on the water you like the freedom of it you don't have any gear on you just the board and your shorts you're like it's the feeling it when that wave picks your ass up off the water and starts to put you down the face. And that's what I, yeah, that's fast. What I, yeah. yeah. Um, so do more of that. Even if you suck, just keep doing more of it. I think the other pieces, and this is something I do with my clients all the time, um, is I give them these, these little 10 day challenges. Um, and one of the 10 day challenges that I give is, uh, how are you going to show up as a mentor and a mentee? To another man so how are you going to reach out and ask for specific help and support around a topic as a mentee and how are you going to identify where another man needs help and support and make yourself available and i'm like okay for the next 10 days just so you know, like your book focus for the next 10 days all every interaction you have with another man i want you to look at it through that lens so for the surfing it's like okay for the next 10 days if every man that i meet who surfs or I'm on the waves, like, how can I keep getting more and more information and feedback? And bam, within, you know, people, you're going to find men to support you. It's just, it's just going to happen. You're so right. And there's, you know, there's my neighbor here in our, in our development. He's a good surfer. The next guy down is a good surfer. They're both out in the water last night. So I think that's a darn good practice to take on because there's help everywhere. And it's, maybe it's a bit like that, 
kind of that tired old adage where, you know, men don't like to ask for directions. It's the same right. thing. Like, yeah. well, yeah. I, I'll, I'll figure this out myself. I'll put my head down and, you know, I'll figure out how to ride this wave. <laughs> right. I mean, what would, it have, what would it be like to ask the dude next door and be like, hey, man, I know that these waves are beneath your skill level, but can you come out with me for, for a session and just give me some feedback? Like, I feel like I'm stuck. I, I, I'm sure he's going to say yes. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So it's that kind of thing where it's like, well, how can we start to just shift our perspective and see that we actually really are in community um, as, if we're willing to, again, coming back to that, the word we used earlier, if we're willing to be vulnerable and ask for that sort of support. Yeah, it's this. My 10 day challenge to you, buddy, is that you can is to get your surfing on in the next 10 days and see what kind of feedback you get. It's a pretty fun 10 day challenge. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. I'm very privileged yeah. there, to be able to have are, this challenge. But it's still, it's still, it's going to be an edge. It's going to be an edge. Totally. Yeah. So, what are, let me, let me ask, let me change gears a little bit here. You got, I mean, you're raising, uh, you're raising kids. I mean, you're, you're a father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what, what are you, what do you do and what's your kind of practice around raising, raising children in a different way? I mean, we, we obviously we all, I shouldn't say we all, but we know that there's programming out there that, you know, girls and boys get, and it tends to be different and, and mm-hmm. both tend to have some good features and a lot of it tends to be damaging. What are you doing to help, you know, reverse some of that or change that narrative? Well, I mean, just like any parent, it's a, it's an in progress. It's an art in progress. Um, I think my, I'm just trying to just to pause for a moment. There's a couple different ways I wanted to answer that question. One thing I've noticed that I'm trying to create an art out of is how to stay in open heart and in connection contact with my children during conflict. So what that looks like is, I mean, I can quickly go to like the stern dad voice. That's really easy for me to do. And I think there's merit to that sometimes. Um, and other times it's, it's not beneficial at all. Um, so what I've been trying to do when I, especially with my, my daughter's nine, my son's five. Um, when I see either of them shutting down is that I actually lean further in and try to work with them from in a loving and playful place. And usually it involves something physical. So like my daughter will get overwhelmed and kind of shut down emotionally and, and, um, like I have no idea where this practice came from. Um, it just kind of came like for, and it was like divine inspiration for me, just out of nowhere. I even like, even this, the phrasing I used had like, I don't have any idea where it came from, but I was like, do you, she's shutting down. I'm like, I'm like, I think you need a, sh-, you know, she's like literally throwing a t- tantrum. I'm like, I think you need a sugar and shake. And you could see her face. You're like, what's it? And she says, what's a sugar and shake? And, and, and I, I, I didn't know, <laughs> like I just said, said this thing. I'm like, I don't know what it is either. So I'm like, oh, well, I will 
I need to apply all this sugar to you. And I was like taking my hands and just kind of wiping all the energy off of her, like down her back and her arms and her legs and her head and just kind of like wiping all the, the bad juju off of her. And then I wrapped her in a towel and I like shook her and then threw her on the bed and she's giggling. And it was one of those moments of like, I mean, I literally just like crafted on the fly, but what it did was it, it broke the tension between us. It broke the stalemate of like, I say she does something. She says she won't do it. And instead um, created a moment of like of playfulness and loving touch. And from there, like she, she broke, I broke and we were able to then re-engage. So a lot of, from a, from parenting for me right now, it's like in terms of conflict resolution, it's try it's working to stay with an open heart with them and stay in contact. Um, and then the other piece is, I like that I'm, I'm trying my best to get them just to get dirty, like get their hands dirty, get be playing outside, playing in the snow, playing in the mud. Um, you know, I signed my daughter up for an art camp this summer and then it's followed by a mountain bike camp the next week. So it's like just trying to mix it up so they have exposure to a whole variety of ways of, of being in the world. I think as a parent, like that's probably it's what I think it's what I missed as a child. And so I'm sure I'm trying to make up for it a little bit in terms of offering a lot of variety, but, um, but trying to give them the gift of seeing the world from a whole variety of different experiences. I think it's a, it's a great, what a great practice, the sugar and shake and a, and a good, a good lesson. I mean, I think. Trademark that. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should do that. We'll uh, (laughs) website sugar and shake. Put some YouTube videos out on how to sugar and shake. (laughs) It's, it's good though. And, and the, that reflection too, about, Hey, you're maybe trying to, you know, make up for some things around parenting. Yeah. Like we're all, we're all trying to quote unquote, get it right. As parents, I try to do this with, with my daughters and you don't, you definitely don't get it right. hundred percent of the time. And if you can get 20, 30%, you're, you're doing, doing well. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a tough practice. It's, it's a, it's a tough yoga to keep holding the pose and staying conscious. And as you were talking about that, I was actually thinking back to when you go out with your clients, because I mean, in mm-hmm. essence, we're, you know, we're kind of talking about polarity in some ways where mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to, you know, tussle with your daughter a little bit and, you know, get her out of that kind of stern tension, structured masculine and, and, you know, put her into her creative side and you, you tussle with her and you throw her right. on the bed a little bit and you play and that, that helps to relieve the tension. And how do you, how do you do that? with clients because in many situations you're in pretty dangerous spots and you know, you're taking a lot of men in, in many cases out in the wilderness and some of them might be real, uh, you know, structured alpha types. How do you play with, with the idea of polarity when you're out, as you call it in the field? Yeah. Well, I, I name it first off. That's the very first thing I do is like one you know, kind of an intro talk is I'm going, you know, I just declare, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say things and use a directive voice at times that's going to be irritating to you. And I'm going to do it out of yours and my personal well-being and safety, because while you are my client, my bigger client is your family. So your, you know, your health and well-being is paramount and it's going to come across that I'm, you know, coming across as, as kind of dictatorial sometimes. So there's just declaring that this dynamic is going to, to shift and uh, is one way to, to, to start that. 
another way is that I have to release, I have to go out of my way and I create experiences to release my uh, leadership at times to give them an opportunity to be in the leadership position. And so that what that looks like is that's not going to be, you know, on technical terrain, obviously, but it's going to be um, at night at the, around the campfire or at camp or, you know, in the tent or whatever um, that I am honoring the skill set that they bring. And then I'm asking, you know, for their knowledge and their expertise in different arenas. So it gives them a chance to shine. So they're not always in the receptive mode. Um, so I think it's, it's key to be aware of, of that dynamic and, um, and empower, you know, empower them to be able to, to step forward. It's a, it's, it's interesting because I think about it in, in the context of, you know, corporate training and it's a little, it's a little easier because the risk is low in most situations, at least the risk of physical harm. And so it's easier to share that responsibility of leadership and to have, you know, different plays on masculine and feminine energy, but in the field, it sounds tough, but it, it sounds like you've, you figured well, out aspects of it. I'll give an example. So like on a Kilimanjaro expedition, I ask for each member to, um, to lead a lead an evening or morning practice. And I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. It could, they, they needed to teach something they need to relay some piece of information or expertise that they have. And so um, like on my last one, uh, one of the guys taught these card, these magic tricks, these card tricks. And I, I didn't know how to do any magic tricks or card tricks. And then his whole demeanor shifted when he was able to step into that role. I know it's, it may, it, again, it may sound like just a magic trick or card trick, but it shifts the experience of the team to then not only not all, not to be looking at me as the de facto leader at all times, but that we all carry that leadership skill in the, in the team as a whole. And it just rotates depending on what the need is at that moment. At that moment, me leading the expedition was totally unnecessary. So for me to hold on to that position um, really actually honestly kind of devalues the expertise and, and the men in the group. So by allowing each of us to be able to bring something forward and shine, that, like that card trick became, um, it was crazy. It was just like, this is a, a 20 minute lesson that he gave to everybody. And it became like the theme for the whole, for the remainder of the trip. And he was the, the stud for doing it. And I was like, and for him, I think he had actually learned that card trick when he was like eight or nine years old, <laughs> but everyone was so enamored by it. And it just, it just, you know, I think naming and giving each other the opportunity to shift that experience is what it's all about. Yeah. And doing that for our kids too, you know, asking about kids with that is seeing you know, what skill set they have and then having them, like, I'm a terrible dancer, but I have my daughter come home and teach me the, the dance moves she's learning and hip hop and dance, which is ridiculous because I can't do any of them, but um, it's super embarrassing for her. But it shifts that perspective to be able to and empowers her and then changes the, changes the dynamic. It's so funny because I had the same exact experience. Um, I have two daughters and they both did this hip hop program at their school. These amazing hip hop instructors came in and taught all the kids in the school in every grade, how to do these different dances. They did a big uh -huh. show. And I remember we were riding on a ferry. It's like an hour and a half ferry that goes from uh, Vancouver over to this town called Nanaimo on 
Vancouver Island. Yeah. It was a sunny day, it was summertime, and I'm like, hey, let's practice the hip hop dance. And I don't know where it was almost like divine, divine yeah. inspiration. We were just kind of bored and we were, we were kind of being sour about having to wait in the theory lineup. And I'm like, let's do the hip hop dance. And they, they taught it to me and I did it. And it was like in the whole theory is out on the deck and they're watching these three kind of crazy people and, you know, two of them dancing well, one of them dancing terribly. Right. <laughs> kind of giving her on this fake dance floor on BC ferries. So I, I could totally relate to that. It's, it's but I think good. It's, I think it's about relinquishing and knowing when to, when to be in leadership, when to hold that, you know, talking about polarity, when to hold those positions and then when to release and allow them to shift and allow them to rotate. Um, and my take on parenting is that a lot of the pain that, that I've experienced is when I have tried to hold on to that, my position for too long without recognizing the, the shift that needs to occur and staying kind of entrenched. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm pausing here because I'm in that, in this exact moment, you know, we're on a, we're on a trip right now and as a family in, in Costa Rica and we, we had a bit of a long journey to get here and we were, had to do a bunch of shopping and, and there was just a lot of logistical stuff going on. And I've been, more or less in charge for probably about six or seven days now. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to wear it. Um, and so your, <laughs> your, uh, your comment is, is a sharp reminder. Did that, you throw a tantrum uh, yet? <laughs> um, no, I haven't, but I should probably do that um, at some point and let it out because yeah. uh, <laughs> starting to feel it in a, in a big way. And I know that I know they feel it, um, which oh, is, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they feel like. um, I have, I have a, I have a, another question for you. Yeah. Though, because you're like, you talk about, we talked about taking people and, you know, groups of men or, you know, whatever groups out and, and sharing in that leadership. And, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, let, letting go of ego, letting go of the masculine pole what do you do when you're out with other guides? Cause you're a guide. Like what do you do when you go out with other guys that are like you that have the same expertise? How do you not let ego get in the way of making good decisions, especially in, in, in dangerous situations? So I think there's two different situations here. Are you, are you, are you asking about when it's like co-guiding together or when I'm just out with other? No, when you're just out with, you're just out with other, you know, other guides and you've all, I mean, you all have good training, good expertise. How do you not let that I escalate think, to the point where you put yourself in a bad situation? I don't think it happens because our training is from the same school. So we speak the same language, uh, and you know, it's from the same school of thought. We speak the same language. We have the same systems. Um, part of that training is, about being open to influence and, and that the systems are always shifting and changing. So you see someone who's doing something slightly differently, you can ask and understand like, Oh, why are you doing that versus this? And so I think there's a, an acceptance there of, of being open to learning. That's just part of the school of thought. I think the bigger challenge is when you're team guiding how to function in that space, um, 
with clients. So that's a, a totally different dynamic um, when you basically have two, two decision makers um, that need to come to a shared agreement. And oftentimes it's, it's, it's done in a way that's kind of from shooting from the hip. It's not that formal. Um, you know, you're both running your teams and then you're kind of co you're making decisions together and um, 90% of the time it's fine. And then 10% of the time there's friction and it's like, how are you going to manage that friction so that um, the clients don't ever experience it? So I think that's the trick is how do you do it so that you, um, you have conversations and go through problem solving without the clients knowing that you are going through that. And the way that that the, I, the best success I found with that is that um, I'll get in the habit of frequently teaming up with the other guides for conversations just throughout the day. Um, whether we have something to say to each other in that moment or not, so that when we are meeting together, clients are just are, are it's just it's totally normal to see us meeting and in those moments we're ironing it out and then after the the fact that evening or a couple of days later whatever however what kind of trip depending on what kind of trip it is i then let the clients in on the decision making process once it's already been created and ironed out because i think that's that that's where the rich learning takes place for the, for the guests to see uh, what what thoughts went into this what was the safety aspect why why do we do xyz and then what were the different perspectives all the different guides had in the given moment that's not information that they need um, but later on i think it's helpful in terms of seeing how decisions are made so um, the takeaway is that we're in communication more frequently with maybe less seriousness or meaning behind each interaction so that when do things things do come up it's really easy to then <clears throat> be in communication and work together versus like waiting until there's a problem and then and then being in communication with each other probably how we should interact in all of our relationships really <laughs> i was just gonna say that sounds like an amazing metaphor for how most uh corporate teams ought to be operating or most uh, marriages which is and, and marriages, yeah, communicate yeah. frequently, even about small stuff, so that when the big stuff's there, you have the tools to communicate properly. Yeah, and then it's going to be I also deal. love that idea. Well, and that, yeah, but also the idea of, of letting people in on all the decisions, you, all the options you considered and how you arrived at your decision. There's so many times in organizations where that doesn't happen and people are like, but how, like, I see what the answer is and the conclusion you came to. Can you tell me what your different perspectives were and how you came to it? And I find that that to me is vulnerability because right. you're saying, Hey, we, you know, we landed on an option um, and we decided not to go with some people's options, which right. it's, that requires a, a, a good layer of openness, transparency, and vulnerability. Yeah. And just being, um, I think it also honors the other individuals that they're not just pawns to play a role, but they're, you know, they're, they're part of it as well. So they aren't just like little, little cogs in the machine. Um, you know, in our case, the one we're describing, they're not just guests that are tied into a rope and actually and doing the movement and then they're, they're done. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're, they're an integral aspect of the team. And then they, they learn from that and it helps inform the next time we were out. 
So, but yeah, from a corporate development perspective, it's the same thing. Like people are putting blood, sweat and tears into this stuff. And, uh, and they, I mean, I, th- I believe they deserve to know their, what the decision-making process is and how they can better, better support the organization moving forward. Everyone wins. Um, but it does take the vulnerability piece of it because as, as a leader, you have to put it out there that you may not be making the right decision, but you're, you're making the decision based on the different, all, all the variables that you have in front of you at that moment. Yeah. It's, I, I, I love, I love this theme that this idea of where, you know, outdoor leadership adventure guiding weaves in with, you know, men's leadership and then, and then also how it ties back to this whole idea of, of corporate teams, relationships, parenting. Um, I've, I've loved this conversation and I'm just so much more excited to come meet you in person uh, when we do uh, the retreat you're hosting later on this year. I can't wait yeah. for that. Yeah. I do want to ask you though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to get there, but I wanted to ask you as a, as a closing question, you gave, you gave a great practice mm-hmm. um, earlier, which is a you know, 10 day challenge. Do you have another practice or do you want to reiterate that practice um, for this audience, something they can take away that they can put in, into action right away to help them get more embodied? Because this is your, this is your niche. This is your sweet spot. I mean, you take people yeah. out and you conceptual and make it real. So what yeah, kind so, of practice can you? So what I'll do, uh, we'll, we'll put the practice in the show notes if that works for you. Um, yeah. Uh, a 10 day challenge that is around connecting your values and your actions. So identifying a specific value that you want to bring forth into the world and then being super specific about how you're going, what action you're going to take to bring that forward. So um, in the show notes, there'll be, you click, click on the link, scroll through it, and then you um, will fill out a form and I will personally engage with each person who, who replies back to it seeking a little bit of refinement on the goal and then the accountability piece 10 days later to see check in to see how it went. Um, but the idea here is to create very specific action in a short period of time, 10 days that aligns with your values and to start to like, it's kind of like the, the lens, you know, when you're shopping for a car and then you, you start to see that car everywhere. If we practice that value, you'll start to see how it can show up in all these different aspects. So, one day, one thing could be um, gratitude. How, how can I show gratitude for 10 days in a row? I'm going to identify 10 different people that I'm going to go out of my way on each of those days to express some sort of, of gratitude to them. Um, and so the challenge is really like identify the value and then make sure that your actions are, are actually in line with that value and then to be held accountable by me. So I'll hold, you, hold, hold that person accountable. I'll connect them 10 days um, to see if they, if they reach their goal, if they overshot it, if they undersold themselves, whatever it is, and, and, and be able to um, kind of refine a little bit and then hold them accountable. So it's cool, cool exercise. It sounds like an amazing one. I mean, you've already got me thinking about the uh, mentor mentee one. I am so appreciative of you making that offer too. So I will link it up in the show notes. If I've got people listening uh, in the car, in the airplane, yeah. whatever, how can they find out more about you, Matt? Well, they can go to mattwalkeradventure.com and, uh, and there is a pop-up that comes up that is the 10-day challenge on there. So they can go to the website, the 10-day challenge will pop up, they can click on it and, and go straight from there. 
So it's mattwalkeradventure.com. And um, it, you know, this is part of my own karma is like, I just, I, I reply back personally to everybody. So you're not going to get any kind of like automated response back. It's um, I just believe that if, if someone's going to take, take the time and effort to, to engage in these challenges, then it, it demands um, for me to show up as well. So happy to do it. And I enjoy, um, enjoy helping people clarify that and, and then holding them accountable and pushing them. That's amazing, Matt. I love, yeah, I love that when you actually get a personal response, I've, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen these 10 day challenges and other things where it's clearly a computer chatting back to you and it's uh, somewhat uninspiring. So thank you for yeah. uh, staying real on this and thank you for, for being on the men at work podcast, Matt, this has been a, like such a great discussion. Obviously you've helped me through a couple of challenges. You know, well, your surfing is going to come together. Like it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Who knew asking for help would be the biggest thing that we had to do um, <laughs> from other surfers. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Who would have thought? So I just want to, once again, thank you for being on the show for making the time for sharing all your wisdom. All right, that's a wrap on episode 14 of the Men at Work podcast. As you can see, uh, Matt is an amazing, amazing leader. He's a great coach, great speaker. If you do get a chance to work with him one-on-one, I highly encourage you to do it. Uh, He made a big difference in just a weekend I got to spend with him in the outdoors. All right, if you like this episode, please uh, send me some love, whether it's... um, a review if you got time for that i'd really appreciate that or even just uh, a quick like stay tuned next week episode number 15 is coming at you bye for now